Welcome to Quota Queens, where we talk and giggle about being women in tech sales. Welcome to Quota Queens. Hi, how's everyone doing? So today we have a guest, Scott Lees, who I've been following for a few years now. Reached out to you about Quota Queens and for some reason you said yes. So here we are and we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. It is. <laughs> Yay. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. Of course. We're so excited you said yes. It is sales, so I do have to throw some some stats out. Feel free to correct me if I if I did mess up any of these. I got to pull it up because there's a lot. Okay, so Scott is a founder of three companies, has been a sales leader at six companies, and has been a strategic advisor to over 30 tech companies. He's probably, also- more, probably more than that. Those are probably just the logos that I've been allowed to put on my LinkedIn profile. Okay, okay. So probably more like, what would Lost you say? Track, to be honest with you. Wait, Fifth I want to stop the intro right there. That, okay, so... Quota Queens is part of this larger organization called Women in Sales that we started. We did this workshop this week um, on imposter syndrome, and we had like 30 women come to one of our members' homes, and we had one of our members who's a leadership coach lead us in a meditation and a visualization exercise around imposter syndrome. And one of the things that came up was women in particular are really not good at naming their successes. They like bury them in all of their doubts. Whereas you, right right away, were like, that's actually probably less than all of the things I've really done. Which is just like, it's, that's so amazing that you're able to just confidently say that. I would, I wouldn't, I would let the person humbly run along with the, the lesser of everything. Yeah. And that was only halfway through all of your your accomplishments. And I just, I don't know. I mean, do you ever get imposter syndrome, Scott? Yeah, all the time. I'm, How I, mean, do you... I think everybody gets it to some degree, unless you're a total narcissist. You know? <laughs> um, I, I sometimes, I mean, I get uncomfortable sometimes hearing people list off the things that I've, that I've done. Um, <clears throat> I get a little nervous in particular, like, you know, I've, I've written three books and every single time the book was about to come out, I was convinced that everything in it was total trash and I should abandon the project and, you know, nobody's going to read it and that kind of thing. And, you know, you, you start these businesses like Thursday night sales uh, or surfing sales. And, you know, what if nobody comes? What if people don't have a good time? You know, you you feel those things and then I think you just have to move through it quickly and, and take action before you convince yourself that, you know, it's going to fail. So a story for you, <clears throat> you know, I, I started surfing sales in 2017 and uh, had the idea when I was in Costa Rica, floated the idea through LinkedIn, kind of made a post and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What do you think? It got an enormous response. And within 48 hours, I had like spent 25 grand and booked all these houses in Costa Rica. And like the event was off and running before I could convince myself 
all the ways it would fail and why it was a bad idea. Um, so it's kind of trying to shrink that, that delta between idea and action is the best way for me, at least, to combat the imposter syndrome. Because I'll still feel it. I just move through it and process it really fast rather than sit around and dwell on it. So basically, you just kind of get too far down the, the road and you just take enough action that it's like you can't turn. There's no turning back turning now. Right now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of no turning back now, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we did with this. Sorry. Like you spent 25 grand of your own money before you had people say they were going to pay and sign up or did you already oh, yeah. have? No, no, no. I, I had people who had written on a LinkedIn post that were like, oh, I would love to do this, which is very different than having people drop a couple thousand dollars. Right. So, you know, you, I, I took a, I took a chance and took a risk, you know, Thursday night yeah. sales. We, uh, we just had a live event, uh, a sales conference in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. I don't know who's going to come. I mean, we have thousands of people in the in the community, but I don't know. And you know, we we rented a whole block of rooms and a conference room at the MGM uh, Grand in Vegas. It costs like fifty thousand dollars, you know. So you plunk that money down, and, you're, and then you're like, "Oh shit! Is anybody going to come? How am I going to recruit recruit yeah. this?" Yeah. Um, but you know, you've hopefully done the work and and have value that you're you're offering, and you know you. You work the sales pipeline the, the, the way that you do and put, put you yourself out there. And it's like, what's the, worst, what's the worst thing that could happen? It fails. Yeah. It fails and I'm out of money. So what? Like, I've been through way worse things, you know? Yeah, and it's just like sales. You have no control whatsoever after you've done all of your work. You're kind of just like, you have to have faith at that point that something will come through and that your work will you know, show itself and the worst could happen, but it's really at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's just my sister quota. The worst does happen and then you deal with it. I'm only saying that because I'm dealing, well, not like the horrible, like the worst is actually never like as bad as you think it is. Cause usually there's a silver lining and there's a door that opens to get you to the next step. But um, for everyone that knows, that's, you know, our, our multitude of listeners on Quota Queens, um, <laughs> that I've been going through this internal interview process for promotion. Actually, Scott, you know about this. Well, I found out yesterday that it's not happening. And there's so much of my energy that was spent not only preparing and convincing myself, like, of course I'm ready and I'm so capable and the stats show it and the data shows it, but at the end of the day, a decision that was made that I maybe don't agree with and didn't go my way, I was kind of thinking like, okay, what part of the movie is this? Like what scene, you know, what scene is, am I taking from this? So that like the next one, everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm rooting for Liz, let's go. But you know, worst case scenario happened, but you have to deal with it. And so I think that that's like well said when it is the worst case scenario. Yeah, maybe you have to trust and move through it, but maybe you also like, deal with whatever it is. And that, I think that's part of the learning process that we all go through. So you experience this, this disappointment or this quote, worst thing, and you're still here, still a smile on your face. You're still working. You still have people who love and care about you. Right. And those are the things that are most important. 
and you move through this and then the next time and there will be a next time the next time that this worst possible thing happens you'll be able to process it and deal with it and probably process it a little faster a little better a little healthier um and i think that that's you know hopefully everybody's goal and they, and you take chances and you you just don't live in fear of that worst thing happening better to put yourself out there and shank than not put yourself out there at all you know yeah absolutely um and scott you've been a, a sales leader um a multitude of times and advised a lot of companies on this so i mean if you were a sales leader coaching someone like liz through something like this what would you i mean what would you say to her because you know how hard I work. <laughs> you know all of my weaknesses and my strengths. Well, I just mean, you know, if you have, have reps going through something like this, like if I was in that position, I don't really know that I would know what to do or say to make someone bounce back and, and view it as something that they could work through and, and still, you know, be able to go on and perform. Well, you, you have a couple choices, right? The first choice is you can sit around and pout about it for God knows how long. And, and let it tank your current performance, uh, which then is going to affect your wallet and then is going to justify what you think is a bad decision the company, you know, made. So you'll prove them right if you do that. Alternatively, don't go that route. Don't go that route. Anyone I wouldn't go to. that route. Yeah, that's not the route to go. Uh, no. <clears throat> the, next, the next route you can go is to sort of put a chip on your shoulder and say, you know, they got this wrong. And I'm going to show you how bad you got it wrong. And I'm going to, you know, double down and like break all the records that I already own. And, you know, that person that got this role is not me. They might fail and I'm going to be here to take the place or I'm going to be there the next time one of these roles opens up and I'm going to make it impossible for them to not promote me. The third path is a, a, a path of leaving. It's a path of saying, you know what? I didn't get this, but I deserve this. I don't feel like I was, uh, you know, given a fair shake. And I have a simple three-step framework for whether or not you should leave. It's called learned, earned, and burned. Super simple. It's have I learned everything that there is for me to learn in this particular role? Have I earned everything that there is to earn in this role? Have I maxed out my comp plan? Have I ceilinged out? And the last one is burned. Have I been burned by my boss or my company and mistreated in any way? And if any of those things are true, it's time to look around. If all of those things are true, you got to go. Uh, and so, you know, the last path is to say, you know what? I've reached my limit here. I've done all I can. They're not going to give me what I think that I uh, deserve. And I can go get that somewhere else. And that's okay. Yeah, I love that. Learn, earn, and burn. Luckily, I'm not in that scenario. So that's a good, that's the a silver lining. I think, you know, the ultimate feedback was need more time. Just my, my background, while scrappy and determined, and um, many would say, like, wow, you've really paved your way to find this role, which is true isn't in enough SaaS experience for this organization to find reason for the immediate promotion. Though it is on the horizon because I am the lead on 
all of the scoreboards. So my, that's why in my perception, it's like, all right, some antiquated bullshit is in my way. So yeah, I'm going to prove them wrong. And you know what I did last night? I am a runner, so that's my therapy. So I went on a long run and then I came home and I watched the Kobe documentary on Hulu where he, it's the one where he got an injury and he is like going through rehab to get his sixth championship. And there's this um, post he writes on social media about like how unfair this feels, how he was at peak condition He'd been training for this. No one had worked harder. And then this Achilles, torn Achilles happened. And he said, look, I could, I could have this as a career ending. I could take this and walk away. I have five championships under my belt. Like I've, for many people, am the greatest basketball player of all time, but I'm not there. So I'm going to work even harder to get and, and like shut up all the naysayers. And then the last line is, Look, if you see me in a fight with a bear, be scared for the bear. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's my mentality. That's just yes. what I'm going to do. Good for you. I think you're handling it the right way. Thanks, Scott. So that's so Scott, that's what you would say to one of your reps if they if you had to kind of go through this with them, you would just say hey, here's your three options. Yeah. This is kind of up to you what you want to choose to do. Yeah, that, that's absolutely what I would say. I'm pretty direct, you know, in how I communicate with people. I try not to dance around certain things. And uh, I don't really know what the other choices are. If there's a fourth and fifth option that I haven't thought of, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. But, you know, that's really what it is. To sulk about it, you can... <laughs> Do the Mamba mentality that Liz is working on, or uh, it's time to go. And if it's time to go, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Isn't it so we have sometimes sales, not sometimes, but I feel like there are so many salespeople that were former athletes. Um, I don't know if you know about this, Scott, but um, I used to be third in the country in fencing. Oh, really? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you that. Didn't know? <laughs> hey, remember at the beginning of the show, you said that you know women sometimes have trouble like putting their accomplishments out there. Look at you; you just put your accomplishment out there. Yeah, so that's my accomplishments, my claim to fame. Third in the country, was on the path to the Olympics, got injured. Also, just wanted to be a college person and chose that route. Actually, something else Kobe said in the documentary, because he went straight from high school to the NBA, he used to drive around the UCLA campus and look at all the like people that were his age in college. And he was like, did I make the wrong decision? Like, should I have stayed and just been a normal kid? Well, I chose that route. Also, fencing does not lead to a lucrative lifestyle. So there's that. Um, <laughs> but um, I do think that it's really interesting coming from being a really intense athlete where there's so much training that goes into it and you have this competitive void when you're not doing it all the time that sales somewhat fulfills and you have to do like sports psychology on yourself just in the same way as a in a sales org right yeah 100 percent. i mean <clears throat> it's actually more mentally taxing to be in sales than it is to be an athlete, you could argue, you know, 
if you think about um, a basketball player, you mentioned Kobe Bryant. So if a basketball player shoots about 50% from the field, they're having a really good game or a really good season. That's 50%. Imagine you go make 10 phone calls right now and you close five deals. Does that ever happen to any of us? No, no. absolutely not. That's absolutely true. not. So we have to go out there and, you know, the the number that everybody throws out is like, go make a hundred calls and hopefully you make one sale, right? That's like historically been the, the number. That's 99 points of failure that we have to deal with to get one yes. So imagine Kobe going out there and missing 99 shots in a row and then making one and feeling really good about his performance. What? That's crazy, right? Like name another profession that has such a fail rate as sales. So the amount of, you know, mental toughness and resiliency that, that we have to have every single day is tremendous. Um, and I think people who have been through, like you said, um, certain competitions and whether it's sport or, you know, the debate team or whatever, like you've trained long and hard, you've messed up a million times. You learn how to win, you learn how to lose, um, you learn how to compete, you learn how to care about these kind of things. And that prepares you for, you know, a career in, in sales. And uh, there are so many people in sales leadership in particular who come from athletic backgrounds. You know how to be part of a team. You've maybe been a captain of the team, so you have some inherent leadership. You know how to recruit. Like, all of these things are transferable, and I, I think that's why... You, we've seen so many people from an athletic background go into the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you think that I completely agree with that? And do you think that that means that a lot more people should do sales so that they get that experience? Because, well, I mean, that's what I think. I think a lot more people should try sales and do sales because I think that a lot of people find it so scary for that exact reason. And I think for that exact reason, it helps you grow a ton as a person. And it really just helps you develop that mental resiliency, even if it's something that I think if you met me five years ago, you would have been like, she should not do sales. Um, but I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I think, I think it's one of the, one of the um, best ways to work on your self-esteem and your self-confidence, actually. Uh, it takes a lot to put yourself out there every day and get told no over and over and over and still feel good about yourself and good about what you do. It's not easy to get people to pay you thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on what you're, you're selling, you know, that's no easy, easy feat. Um, so it, I think one of the things that it does is it, it allows you to like, let loose your true inner self. Like we're all better than somebody, we're all better than everybody else at one thing. So something that I tell people to, to think about is like, what's the thing, Daisy, that you're way better at than me or Lizzie? Like, just think about it in your head. There's like no way that we could beat you. And like that level of confidence is the real you. We just don't let that real person out to shine very often for whatever reason. Right. And so getting into sales and being successful means you're sort of letting that kind of super confident version of Scott out 
more and more and more and more. Um, and that I think spills over into how you interact with other people. It gives other people the, uh, <clears throat> the space and, and the grace and the freedom to also be their true, confident, you know, best self. And, and that's inspiring and people want to be around and they gravitate towards others um, who are living their life and, and going about their career that way. Um, and I, and w when you talk about everybody, you know, should be in sales, there's a million reasons why. Like, think about the customer success role right now. You can't be in customer success anymore without having sales skills. You mm -hmm. just can't. Customer success roles all have a quota now. They have an expansion or a cross-sell quota, or they have a retention quota. Well, convincing somebody not to cancel is a sale. I'm not maybe bringing in $10,000 of new revenue, but I just saved this $10,000, which is worth just as much. That's a sale. The line between salesperson and marketer has never been more blurred than it is right now. So people in marketing need to understand sales way more than they've ever had to before. Let's say you want to be an entrepreneur in any way. Well, if you're an entrepreneur, you better get used to selling your fucking idea and you better get used to selling other people to come work for you, right? You want to launch a podcast, you're going to have to sell this podcast. I don't mean sell the business entity of the podcast, but you have to convince people that it's worth their time to listen to, right? So I, it, no matter what you're going to do with your, your career, I think sales skills are transferable and, and just only help you grow. It doesn't mean you have to do it forever. Um, but I, I, I love, there's a story about um, the founder of Zappos, Tony Singh, who uh, <clears throat> passed away not, not too long ago. But he used to put everybody who came into the company in sales on the phones for the first two weeks that they were employed at the company. So everybody knew what it was like and was more empathetic to, uh, you know, the engine that makes the company go. I, I always think that's a great story. So. Wow. I wish they would do that here at our no name company <laughs> that we have not released. Um, that I would mean, be nice, but yeah, I have a question. Amazing. So you were mentioning what it is like to kind of hold space for others. You didn't say that, but you were talking about your most confident self and when that really comes out. And I was thinking about how influential that is when other people are gravitating towards you, right? You need to hold this space for others. And part of that is being confident in yourself. And so I wonder, you know, you're very accomplished from where Daisy and I sit. And I wonder, where you find your confidence? Where do you, like, what is an instance where you feel most confident? And perhaps, you know, you already kind of told us imposter syndrome, so this might combat that sometimes. Yeah. Well, anybody who knows me really well knows that I'm pretty useless at most things in life. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that smart. And I'm not that good at, like, normal things that other people are really good at. Um, I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody and I was telling them that I never learned how to drive a stick shift and, and they were like making fun of me, you know, big time. Scott, like, I barely yeah. know how to drive. So <laughs> well, you know, an automatic, not I'm good. Not, 
I'm not, I'm not good at, at, at a lot of these kind of things. There's always a couple places that I, that I have felt super confident. And, you know, one of them was playing sports. You know, I grew up playing every sport you could think of. I played two sports in college for four years, full ride scholarship. I played tennis and soccer. And uh, wow. I was always like <clears throat> a shy kind of wallflower person in my, in my social life. Um, not super outgoing, certainly not the life of the party. Like if I went to a party, I was just hanging out in the back, just like observing things. But you put me on the soccer field, you put me on the tennis court and this different person would come out, right? I would be very vocal, I'd be in charge. Fast forward a couple of years, you know, when I was 23 years old, I got super, super sick. <clears throat> and I spent four years in the hospital fighting for my life. I've had a bunch of different surgeries and overcame opioid addiction. And when I first got into sales, I, I just kind of reflected on what I had been through. And I realized like me kind of holding back and being shy or unconfident or whatever, like that wasn't doing me or anybody around me any kind of service. And I had already just been through the hardest thing that I would ever going to go through in my life, hopefully knock on wood. Right. So how hard could a sales job possibly be compared to beating all the illnesses and the struggles that I just had. So <clears throat> I kind of decided like, I'm not gonna hold back anymore. I'm gonna bring out that person who was on the soccer field barking orders at everybody. I'm gonna bring that person out on the phones. I'm gonna bring that person out in my work life. I'm just gonna bring that person out more and more and more and more and not hold back. Um, and so I, I, every time I start to waver, I just go back to that and I think about, you know, what I've been through and, and what I overcame. Um, and the other stuff just doesn't seem that daunting or important anymore. And I have just slowly given less and less fucks about what people think. And I just know who, who I am. I know my strengths. I know what I'm good at. I'm going to be myself. You know, I don't look like a typical nor normal VP of sales. I, you know, I didn't go to Stanford. I don't wear Patagonia vests. I don't have gel in my hair. Sorry. Uh, deal with it, you know? Um, and I've, I've, I've been around long enough now and experienced, you know, certain levels of su success that I don't, I don't have to go back. I don't have to put myself back in this box and like dim my light so somebody else can shine, right? Um, I give people space to be themselves and let them shine. I try to help and amplify other people's voices who are, you know, up and coming. And that doesn't impact my own confidence and my own ability whatsoever. Like there's a, there's more than enough slices of pie to, to go around. So. I love that. And I love, I, I just love that you said being shy and nervous doesn't do me or anyone around me any good. I just wrote that down because I think that sometimes women especially can get into, you know, we want to serve others. Um, and so sometimes I think when we are too loud and big and take up space and put ourselves out there like that, we get yeah. nervous, like, am I putting other people off? And I think that you're really right, that it's not doing anyone any good to 
be shy and hold yourself back because then you can't really lift anyone else up. And I think that's something that women could really take away from this is that when you have that feeling of like imposter syndrome, am I being too much? Am I putting everyone around me off of me because I'm being really fully myself? Just remember that it doesn't do anyone around you good either. Like you need to shine so that you can help other people shine as well. Um, because I know Scott, I've, I've mentioned this to you a little bit, but I, one of the biggest problems I see for women in sales is that you see all these women starting out in SDR and entry level roles. And then it just kind of gets less and less as they go up their career. And I've experienced this. And when I say less and less, that wasn't really clear. I mean, fewer and fewer women are in roles as you kind of go up the, ranks, I guess, of the sales career. Um, And I've experienced this a lot myself where I express my self-doubt and moments of when I feel like I'm failing and is this ever going to get better? And people will say to me, like, have you tried something else? Like maybe marketing is better for you or maybe partnerships or a non-quota, maybe the pressure is too much. And I always kind of think like, well, just because it feels bad like this now, like, what if I overcame it? Wouldn't that be such a a great teacher? And it really has been for me. But I think a lot of women in those moments will kind of listen to that and say, oh, well, maybe if this person is saying that and they're higher up than me or they've been through this, then maybe they're right and I shouldn't be in this. And so I think having those little things like being shy isn't going to do me or anyone around me any good could help women through that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I understand completely. And what would you say, I guess, if someone came to you with that, with that moment of doubt or someone, you know, maybe they're an entry kind of like AE or something and they're having a lot of self-doubt and they're just kind of recoiling into themselves because they aren't being their most confident because maybe they haven't closed a deal in two months. Well, this this is this is where managing the person is more important than managing the numbers and managing the pitch. So, if I really want to have the best sales team possible, um, better people sell better. So, I have I would have to work with you to boost your self esteem, boost your confidence, give you some grace that things are, you know, not perfect right now. Um, and one of the things that you do as a, as a leader is you open yourself up and you be vulnerable and you share your own experiences and stories. So I would be sitting here going, you think I don't feel doubt? Listen, the first day that I was ever on the phone, this is a true story. The first day, that, actually the first job I ever had at 27 years old in sales. I get the job at this early stage startup. I go in the first day, we have training from like 8 a.m. to noon. We go to lunch. I get back from lunch and they're like, okay, go hit the phone. Four hours of training where we learned about the product and a little bit about the company. Wasn't given any kind of sales script, no practice, no lead list. Just go fucking make it happen. And I remember the phone felt like it weighed like 10,000 pounds. Like I I was so scared to even pick it up. And I made a few calls, you know, that day. And they went terribly. And I remember driving home from work and I called up my wife and I was like, well, sales is not for me. (laughs) 
That was the most miserable experience ever. I have no shot. Like, this is never going to be work out, never going to be good. And she said, well, she said, she goes, well, uh, you know, what else are you going to do? Like, what's your backup plan? <laughs> and it was just like, it was like she punched me in the gut. It was just like, oh, God. Like, I don't have, I don't have a backup plan. I don't have a safety net. You know, um, that's me. And so if you think that, like, I'm accomplished or I've done well, like, I wanted to quit multiple times the very first day. Then similar to uh, Lizzie's story, like I had been the number one producer in the company for the first like six months that I was there. I got good really quick once I got done being scared. And then a management role came up and I got passed over for somebody else who'd been there longer, wasn't better, wasn't a better leader, didn't have better sales numbers, but they'd been there longer. And I was at this fork in the road and I was like, fuck these guys. Like, I'm going to go get a job somewhere else. They don't know what they have. Right. But fortunately, I took a little bit of a deep breath and uh, I thought, well, I could leave for sure. But then I have to start all over. New product, new relationships, all this kind of stuff. I know this woman is going to fail like she's not the right hire. So I'm going to break all of my records and do so good that they, it's impossible for them to not promote me. Sure enough, that's what happened. She washed out as a sales manager after like three months and I had broken my own records and boom, they put me in the leadership role. So everybody has gone through these moments of doubt or these failures, right? And, and we have pressed on. And so if you really want to succeed in sales, if you really want to be a VP of sales one day, like these moments of doubt that you have, you have to work through them. And yeah. this not confident person, like you have to, you better change. You better work on that. Like you better go to therapy. You better change who you spend time with and make sure you're around people who lift you up and boost up your ego and self-esteem rather than tear you down. Um, there could be all sorts of dramatic or minor changes that need to occur in order for you to succeed. You have to be willing to put yourself through all these things if you really want to make it happen. So that's the conversation that I, that I would have. I, I would open myself up, be vulnerable, talk about some of the stuff, try to connect like I've been you. I am you still sometimes. I will be you again. And then I got to reconnect to this person's why. Like, why are you here? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to build? Who do you want to become? Well, if you want to do those things, this is what you have to go through. And I'm here to help you get there if you're willing to, to put in the energy and the effort, if you're willing to make these changes, then you'll be able to succeed. If you're not, then I can't help you. You know? Yeah. I always think about that. It's like the dirty secret of life is that you have to fail in order to grow. You have to suffer in order to learn about yourself and how you can move forward and strength of people is like the one of the cool parts of being a homo sapien is that you can process that and move forward truly um i'm just laughing because this is the first podcast i've ever been on with the word homo sapien <laughs> i was like nerd I, <laughs> um yeah but true i mean have you read sapiens i have not Ooh. I read okay. the first page. 
<laughs> that is a great, great, great book. Uh, Nuval Harari, I can't pronounce his last name, and I'm sorry if he's listening. I'm sure he is. Um, <laughs> but he was um, a philosopher turned scientist, and he, he writes about why Homo sapiens are the way they are just from from the time that we emerged from um, or evolved rather from apes and turned into cavemen and then basically in Pangea how these different communities evolved and languages evolved and why we think the way we think and it's actually just such a brilliantly beautiful book so I recommend you read it but one of those things that he talks about is as sapiens, we have these brains that function entirely different than any other species on this planet. And one of the beautiful parts about it is that we 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 um, we feel loss, we feel grief, we feel disappointment. We have that pain of emotions. When you when you see animals like a lion, yes, they feel grief if like their child dies or they are not getting food, but it's not in the same way, and they can't learn from it. They can't grow past it. So that's my tangent. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, I've, I've heard you. that that book is really good, but um, I've yeah. never read it. So, I mean, yeah. Sorry. We're nearing, I was just going to say, we're nearing kind of like our last component of our, of our show today. And we always like to end on a funny note. So I'm going to let Daisy ask this question. Well, I know I, I mentioned this to you before, but I hope that you have your embarrassing story ready to go because that's our last question is what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you in your career? Or recently. <laughs> it could have been yesterday. <laughs> no, yeah. Forever. Just whenever. A lot of ours are very recent, so most of mine are. Yeah. Maybe rephrase. Not the most embarrassing if you can't come up with that. I mean, if you can, give it to us. But whatever is the most relevant to you at this point in time. Well, I mean, it's embarrassing now to admit that I tried to quit my sales career on the very first day. You know, it's also kind of embarrassing to admit that I got passed over for a job. It's embarrassing to admit that I picked the wrong company to be the VP of sales of one time and I was only there seven, eight months, right? Like these are not things that you'd ever be proud of. These are big swings and misses and, and shanks. Um, I've accidentally hit reply all a few times on emails. I probably shouldn't have hit reply all on, right? Like we've all done those things. I'm still here. I'm still standing. Um, yeah, I don't know what else is like super embarrassing. I just have same number of failures as as everybody else i just kept going you have to and that's great resilience key mamba mentality yeah yeah i've had some really embarrassing screen shares really embarrassing um yeah. one time i skyped with <laughs> well this was recently but i had a zoom call with someone who turned out to be <laughs> nine years old because somehow they booked a demo with me. Um, and so I still am like really worried about people 
going to jail about that, but (laughs) we're all still here. You know what I mean? We make it through those moments where you're like, why do I work in this job? In the, I'll I'll give you one more embarrassing story. In the, in the very beginning of the pandemic, when we were all just like first getting on zoom, I don't know if y'all remember, but like zoom bombing was like a whole thing. Yes. I didn't know how to, you know, use zoom really. So I'm on a, a big webinar that I'm hosting Thursday night sales. And there's like 400 people on it and we get zoom bombed and like, it just starts flooding in. And I'm talking like nasty messages in chat, live acts and porn images in the like, you know, window, everything. And I'm over here at my, my keyboard and I'm just like trying to like, you know, get I couldn't remove people fast enough. I didn't know what to do. And I just fucking hit end meeting. I just shut the whole thing down. And then I had to like try to restart it. It was an absolute nightmare, super mortifying. And uh, yeah, had to learn from that one. That wasn't fun. Wow, that's a good one. Oh my God. I mean, I I see Daisy feels like. Daisy looks like physically affected by this story. So. Well, I, I remember hearing about it in the news. It was like midget porn in like, you know, college yeah. classrooms or whatever. And then, but I never knew anybody personally that that happened to. So I always thought it was now kind of do. like mythical. <laughs> now, now, you, now you do. I didn't know what it was. This is the first time I'm learning about it, but I live under a rock sometimes. I asked Daisy about this apparently really famous podcast lady, that I learned about yesterday. Um, and Daisy looked at me as if I was from another planet. Apparently she's very well known, but lo and behold, I had no clue. Call her daddy, call me daddy, call her daddy. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah, call her daddy, Liz, didn't know That's what that right. was. Also well, every I episode. Well, I live under a rock as well, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Every episode, there's something pop culture related that Liz doesn't know about that I have to explain to her. And so I'm not going to explain it this time, but it's a famous podcast. Um, No, but I used to work in marketing. That was my first job. And um, we had to do a lot of webinars, obviously, and I would host some of them. And so I know already how stressful it is to like host a webinar just like normally, like, can everybody hear? Can people see you have no control over anything? I'm not an audiovisual specialist like people would be like I can't hear and I'm like I I don't know what to do so it gave me so much anxiety and that's why I don't do that anymore but just thinking about that just brought it back like what would I have done I have no idea that's so stressful um so yeah I'm now I'm like really on edge but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is amazing it's like a therapy session I might yeah. actually hate you for any, do you know any good coaches for saleswomen or people? Yeah, yeah, I, oh. I do actually. There's uh, Alexine Mudawar and Gabrielle Blackwell uh, <clears throat> have a women in sales club, I think is what it's called. And um, I think they, they do like podcast um, or clubhouse radio like every Saturday. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's like hundreds of, of people that that show up and Lori Richardson is a is a big name in sales that does a lot of mentoring of uh, of women in sales and 
um, Amy Bolas, Samantha McKinney, uh, lots of lots of great ladies out there doing doing big things. So happy to make introductions to to any of those folks if you would make if it would make sense for you. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll reach out to you. That sounds good. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. And we'll be sure to, um, you know, link to your surf and sales and Thursday night sales um, and anything else that is there anything else that you wanted to, to talk about quickly? Under a rock nah. sales. <laughs> well, have fun in Costa Rica. Liz Thank and I you. will hopefully be joining the next one because yeah, you're going to give us the inside scoop so we can get into it. And thanks so much for, for coming You're on. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.